You are listening to the Bristow Advent Christian Church Podcast. Visit us on the web at bristowacc.net. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Christopher. Good morning, Bristow Advent Christian Church. God is good all the time. Amen. Praise the Lord. One more time, I'd like to uh, bow my head and ask that the Lord uh, specifically be on this word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable unto your sight. And this we pray in Jesus' name and all the church said, Amen. You might have recognized the opening text as one that was shared not that long ago, but I'm coming from a different angle this time than the first time. This time, instead of so much as a warning, this text is a reminder of the mercy of God because what he's doing there and what I'm going to focus on with the chapter 4 of Daniel is the fact that God is determined to give us every possible break, every possible chance to be with him eternally in heaven. So that scripture is one last plea because he does not give in easily. Remember, Jesus died for you. Amen? The title this morning was lest we forget. And indeed, that's an issue that Nebuchadnezzar seemed to have as bright as he was. Well, especially when it came to God. As I read chapter 4, actually, the, you know, I have read chapter 4 and I've read stories based on chapter 4 I don't know how many times through my life. And it seems that every time I go there, there's something new still hitting me. And while I've typically uh, been interested in what became of him, what I had never focused on before, but I did this time, was everything that led to the vision, everything that he went through once he had the vision, and how nothing had seemed to change since his first vision. It had. It had changed several times, but he reverted. So I had to remind myself that Nebuchadnezzar, in between these times of seeing Daniel and the three Hebrew children end up lording it over everybody else whenever they ate almost nothing as compared to his diet that he was recommending on everybody, that even after he had had that, and in between the times that he had had that major vision that Daniel had uh, interpreted the prophecies that had been given to him personally, and even between the times that God showed himself to him again, showed himself to him again after uh, a situation of him getting a little too big-headed and then throwing the three Hebrew children into the oven. Well, in between all these times that God would 
show who he was to him and he would acknowledge and recognize him. Well, during all this time, he still had a lot of great things happening under his power, like he uh, conquered Tyre, he conquered Egypt, and uh, just the, the kingdom became greater and greater. And how many of y'all was aware that Nebuchadnezzar was responsible for one of the great ancient wonders of the world? In gardens, they became one of the ancient wonders of the world. So anyway, we find out in chapter 4 that, and I'm actually, this spoiler alert, anybody that hasn't read it, but anyway, in chapter 4, he starts thinking pretty highly of himself again, and God has to humble him. Now, I said he had to humble him. Did God have to humble Nebuchadnezzar? Not really. He could have just... Let him suffer the consequences and go down eternally lost. He could have said, well, you served my purpose, but you don't listen. But instead, God went out of his way to bring Nebuchadnezzar back around. Now, granted, I would never want to go through what Nebuchadnezzar went through to get there. Would you? Matter of fact, most of us can't even deal with what Moses went through or Joseph went through or anybody else. I, how many of y'all would even want to go out in the wilderness for 40 days? You know? But then we have those that have spent as much as 40 years, you know, being brought to where God could deal with you. But you know what? We have a merciful, forgiving God. Amen? Well, we deal with several different aspects, several different principles in this, and um, several different, again, messages that come to us. Now, my message was lest we forget but it also deals with fear. So Nebuchadnezzar in verse 1 of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, languages, and dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. By the way, now I've just finished those first two verses. Who wrote this particular chapter of Daniel? I just told you. Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. This book of Daniel has actually given this chapter over to the king himself. By the way, we frequently focus on chapter 2 when we talk about the God given the king division before he gave it to Daniel. How many of you remembered that in chapter 4 he did the same thing? 
This vision again comes to him before it comes to Daniel. And in both cases, it's something for us many thousand years down the line to learn from. And Nebuchadnezzar, he had to eat a lot of crow and speak with great humility to share this with not only those back in his time, but all the way to this present day, the stupidity of his life at that point. Because that's where it goes. That's where it goes. So he's writing this chapter and sharing his experiences how God brought him to the final light and understanding. Through the course of chapter 1 through chapter 4, many years go by. And through that course, as I was just mentioning a while ago, many experiences are gone through by him and the people, but especially him. And through all of this, and despite anything and everything he did, and every time he forgets about where he is in relationship to the true king of heaven, God still forgave and still had mercy. Now, if that's true of somebody like Nebuchadnezzar, is that true of us today? It is. It sure is. But anyway, he says, I thought it good in verse 2 to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. Verse 3, how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generations to generations. And now he goes into his story. He says, I saw a dream in verse 5. I'll go ahead and start with 4. Nebuchadnezzar was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid. And the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. You know, we are in fearful times today. How many of you have fears? How many of you ever wake up at night and have a hard time going back to sleep because you got so many worries on your mind? This is especially true of Grandpa's children. I thought I had a lot of issues when I was just a parent, but... It's even more so since I've become a grandfather. Well, you know, there was a man in history, I, I'm hoping that the schools are still teaching about our various presidents and such, but there was a, one of our presidents, Franklin Roosevelt, that said, we have nothing to fear except what? How many of you older? Fear itself. Now there was a little bit of truth to that. But yet it wasn't a true statement. 
Because we do have something to fear beyond fear itself. Who is the originator of fear? Satan is. Satan is. Now, why did Franklin Roosevelt say this? Okay, what was going on during that time, veterans? World War II. And was it not for the mercy and grace of God, we probably would not be a free nation today. Things got awful close before we finally turned things around or were able to be involved in what got turned around. It was also the time of the Great Depression. And Roosevelt's famous expression relates to the idea of fear by showing how crippling and debilitating it can be if people let it rule their lives. Satan tries to destroy people in the church today through fear. Fear of relationships. Fear of various harms from school or this power or that power or whatever. Uh, fear of things that we see that's coming over us. Immorality is rampant right now. But you know what? The closer we get to God, the more Satan gives us to worry about if we let him. Satan has filled us with a lot of distractions. And I mentioned it before, so I won't focus on it this time, but I want you to remember that. It's the distractions. And all this stuff I said about Nebuchadnezzar, those were distractions. Now, for us, that especially if you're poor, fear is the major issue from a lot of different things. If you're wealthy, well, a lot of times the distraction involves what you own and keeping it. Well, for some of us, that's poor. It might be what you own and you're keeping it. Franklin was nothing if not an optimist. Despite being faced with the greatest economic crisis in American history, he warned, is determined that the United States would one day emerge from the Great Depression as a stronger, more prosperous nation than ever before. But the truth of the matter is, as a, another great author has written, we have nothing to fear for the future except as we shall forget the way that the Lord has led us. That is the greatest thing. So we have nothing to fear for the future except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history. And that's a point that Nebuchadnezzar tries to bring out in this story right here. Is he had a tendency to forget. He had a tendency to let the distractions of fame, to let the distractions of uh, personal abilities and stuff, and conquering to come in the way of God and the fact that he put him in that position. So he was afraid. 
He says, and I made a decree, and you, you tell me, well, anyway, think about this. As I start reading from this point, start kicking your mind a bit and ask, does this sound like a repetition? Does this verse sound like a repetition from chapter 2? Because as he's telling the story, you start seeing the same scenarios, not scenario, scenarios. First off, this dream and the fear. and the, So then, who's he called? Well, he's already uh, seen how God works in Daniel and three Hebrew children. So the first person he calls is Daniel, right? Don't y'all shake your heads, yes. You better read chapter 4. He did the same thing he did in chapter 2. And that's what really blew my mind. Here he had the experience he had but the first thing he did, he makes this decree to bring in all the wise men. Now, in this scenario, Daniel does seem to be involved because whenever he does call on him, he's right there. But he's not giving him an opportunity until the same point in time that most of us do with God. And what's that? We do what we can do. We, we, we look into every possible way of handling something. And then when nothing seems to work, oh God, you still there? And then we pursue God. Isn't that what we do? A lot of us. I know I've done it plenty of times. Although he's made it clear that, look, I'm there from the beginning. Why are you wasting your time? But that's what kicked me, man. He says, uh, Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them. Now, in my mind, I'm wondering why he still got this mess of them. You know? But they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. Duh! that showed their usefulness way back in chapter 2. But at the last, and see, he even spells it out, at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom this is, is the spirit of the... Now, will you look at the next two words there? In the spirit of what? And in whom is the spirit, in verse 8, of the holy gods. Now, Daniel had already made it clear several times. The three Hebrew children made it clear there was only one and one only. Lest we forget, people. Lest we forget. Nebuchadnezzar forgot. And before him I told the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, master of the magicians, if you really think he's a master, why'd you wait till the last? But anyway, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee, tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen and the interpretation thereof. So then he gives a description of this dream. And he says, these are the visions that was in my head. Verse 10, I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. 
That tree grew and was strong and height thereof reached unto heaven and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth and the leaves thereof were fair and the fruit thereof much and in it was meat for all. The beast of the field had shadow under it and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof and all flesh was fed of it and I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed and behold a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Hew down the tree, cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. And verse 16 says, let his heart be changed from man's and let a beast heart be given unto him and let seven times pass over him. I'm not going to spend any time on this where it talks about seven times, but I just want to mention it as this is another area that if you're putting line upon line, precept upon precept, that you begin to understand how the Bible deals with prophecies and how the terms that get used. And uh, frequently we will come across, such as here, times being the same as being years. By the way, uh, the word in Aramaic also meant years. That was for times here. And that's just kind of FYI because it's important to realize that the Bible is consistent. And this is one of the scriptures that help us in determining later in other prophecies the terminology. This matter is by the decree of the watchers, the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know. What was the intent? To the intent that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, O Belshazzar, declare, declare the interpretation thereof for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation thou art able for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. Daniel heard this dream and he stood there in silence for a bit. He was not only awestruck, he was concerned. And from what Nebuchadnezzar says, we get the impression that he may have been a little concerned about how Nebuchadnezzar was going to respond to him. But it says he was astonished for one hour and his thoughts troubled him. Was it because he could not understand the dream? No, as we will read in the next few verses, he realized the magnitude and, and how, how awful this was to affect Nebuchadnezzar. As a matter of fact, after uh, the king tells him, look, don't worry about me. You just spit it out. He says, 
Belshazzar answered and said, My Lord, the dream be to them that hate thee in the interpretation thereof to thine enemies, whose leaves um, the tree that thou sawest which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto heaven. Who was it? Who was it? Anybody remember? In verse 22, I'm going to verse 22. It says, It is you, O king. I take you back to chapter 2. What was in the vision? What was in the vision, chapter 2? You know, there's no point, and thank you, those of that are answering, there's no point in uh, any of us that come up here and speak to share from the Word if you're not absorbing and remembering it. And be studying at home because it's all about what you are retaining from the Word. The Bible says the day is coming that... This word is not going to be easily accessible, so then you have to depend on what you've retained here. Because these lessons are very important to remember, but he was to be the head of gold in that statue, was he not? Now, he defied that later in another chapter, made a big old idol that it was, the whole thing was gold. Hey, I'm not just going to be the head, I'm the whole thing. But anyway, he was the head, and... So it was making it clear that he was going to fall and somebody was going to follow after him. Here again, he's being told that something's going to happen to him. said, it's you. You've become strong. Your greatness has grown and it reaches to heaven. Dominions to the end of the earth. Verse 23, whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven saying, you down the tree... It says here, this is in the, the interpretation in 24. King, this is the decree of the Most High which has come upon the Lord the King. They shall drive you from men. And your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. Now where is their dwelling? Out there. And he was going to be with them. And they shall make to thee to eat the grass as oxen. So he's telling him that he's going to lose his mind. And he's going to become as an animal as it were. But get this. Even in this dream, God's declaring his mercy and his love toward the king. Whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. We've had a couple presidents, uh, one in recent decades, or say recent times, recent decades, that got Alzheimer's. Now, what if the doctor said, I think his mind has come back from the devastating state he had got, and I personally believe he would be uh, capable of running this country again. How many votes you think he'd get? No matter how good a doctor or whatever says that, nobody's going to have confidence in that. But do you realize the miracle involved in, in Daniel telling him that his dream is forecasting this? That despite seven years that he was to be in the wild as an animal, and the Bible says, with fingernails so long, they were like claws on birds or whatever, and uh, no, uh, claws on the animals, and 
His hair was going to be so long and matted, it'd be like feathers all over his body. Now, we're beyond Alzheimer's, but it says his kingdom will be sure. Have you ever noticed this when you're reading this, that all this stuff that was in that prophecy, all these things that he repeated, just like chapter 2? God is a merciful God. He's a merciful God. And here's the thing, though. And you may say, well, that sure seems like a drastic measure, but remember who the king was and what all he had done. So Daniel gives this vision to him, and he then says in 27, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee and break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. So much of what is said to us throughout the entire Bible is conditional. Whether positive or negative, it's conditional. A lot of the promises given to the Jews, a lot of them don't seem to remember this, but they are conditional to be positive. A lot of the curses were conditional. Jonah got all upset because God sent him to uh, Nineveh and said, you're going to get destroyed and everything, and they weren't. Why weren't they? Because the whole reason that God sent him was to, with the hope of saving them. To let them know the situation they were in. Moses tried to save a lot more people. Tried to save as many people as would come. For how many years while he was building that ark. But nobody had listened. But what happens when you do listen? Nineveh was saved. God didn't destroy them after all. I don't have time to go into a lot of situations like that, but that's enough to me to remind you that God's saying there is a way to avoid all this. And for a little bit, Nebuchadnezzar took it to heart. It says, all this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar, verse 29, at the end of what? Not the next day, not the next month, not two or three months, but... A year later, when this dream had kind of gone to the back of his memory a bit and a lot of other neat things has happened to him, he goes out and he starts looking at it and the king says, Is not this the great Babylon? What? Next verse. Is not this the great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. God will do a lot of wonderful things for you if you but ask him and you follow him. Even Solomon, though, let it go to his head. And you need to remember, lest we forget, you need to remember from which comes your life. From whence comes your possessions? 
From whence comes your family? From whence comes the word? From whence comes your salvation? You need to remember that. And that's what in our opening text is saying, come back out of her, my people. You know who I am. You know what I have to offer. Don't let yourself be deceived and distracted, but come back to me. But sometimes he has to hit us on the head to get us there. And he's willing to do it if there's any hope left in us. Personally, I'd rather not get hit in the head. It says in 31 that while that word was in the king's mouth, while he was speaking, it happened. Bam. His mind was gone. His mind was gone. It says, There fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from thy dwelling, shall be with the beast of the field, they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee. Seven why? Now, I want you to remember that until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from man. He did eat grass as oxygen, uh, oxen. He was the ultimate vegetarian. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till the hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the days, which is seven years, thank you. At the end of the days, which was seven years, doesn't say seven years there, but why would it need to? It just told us that two or three times. So at the end of the day, seven years, Nebuchadnezzar lifted his eyes unto heaven. Sitting there chewing his grass looks up toward heaven and God opens his eyes. And mine understanding returned unto me. And what was his first reaction when God opened his eyes? He says, and I blessed the Most High. I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants, in verse 35, are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven, you vets, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? We have no excuse to not believe in God when we look and smell and hear and taste what is around us. Verse 36, at the same time my reason returned unto me. Can you imagine this? I have a hard time even now. Totally understanding, except for God. Now, I can't help but think that Daniel was somewhere nearby reminding everybody of the royal clan. 
But anyway, at the same time my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom and mine honor and brightness returned unto me. He was put back in charge. And my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established. They came to him and said, Hey, we know you've kind of been out of sorts for a while, but will you be our king again? Now imagine somebody going to Ronald Reagan and saying that, you know, after he had suffered Alzheimer's as bad as he did, if seemingly it had all come back. Just trying to put things in perspective. <laughs> but I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. He acknowledged he is God. The one and only. And by the way, this is the last place we read about Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. From there we go to other kingdoms and such. So as I come to a close here, I want you to think about something. How are we remembering God? How often are we thanking and praising Him? How often do we think about the basic premise that's in the prayer that Jesus gave us a sample of? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. How many think about all the little things that are in that prayer? You know, there are a lot of distractions, and through those distractions, we now have the distractions of thousands of Christian faiths. Not hundreds, thousands of Christian denominations. We now have a variety of ways to believe, and some of them are not only accepting immorality, but are led by immorality. We are in the days that were prophesied in the end. We've got those that are no longer thinking of God as the Creator. Or if they do, well, he just took advantage of what was there. He did not originate things. We have nothing to fear except that we forget how God has led us in the past. The most important part of what I've had to say to you this morning is that we need to keep reminding ourselves of who God is. And God knew that we would need to be constantly reminded he knew it and did something about it in the very beginning. He gave us a day of rest to spend with Him and to contemplate Him as the Creator. Even when He gave the commandment and He referred to that day of rest again as Creator. And then when he went to Revelation, in the very, in the very last, when, when we get to the point, he then says, worship him who made 
heaven and earth again as our creator that seems to be one of the greatest things that we want to be distracted against is the fact that we are not self-made we are not the ultimate intellect but we are who we are because we were made in the image of God now that being said, he wanted us to remember that he is merciful. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. That means he's everywhere. He's all powerful. He's extremely merciful. More forgiving than any grandpa or daddy or mama or anybody ever has been in anybody's life. And he will forgive and give mercy beyond seven times 70. And he wants you to remember that so that when you get at the bottom of your rope, as Nebuchadnezzar did out in the field, he's still there. And he still loves you. And he's begging us in these last days to come to him. Amen? God wants that very special place in our hearts so that we will be ever mindful of Him as our living, loving, most merciful, forgiving, and all-powerful Father. Praise God. And He knew that if we wasn't dwelling upon this at least once a week. And he picked a specific time primarily so that they'd reflect on the six previous days. But the whole point is he wants you to remember so that you don't get lost in the details of what Satan's distractions I finish on one final quote. It says, Above the distractions of the earth, he sits enthroned. Above the distractions of the earth, he sits enthroned. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to search your heart and lift your hand if you have this prayer in your heart that you want me to go to God with. But we need to acknowledge to Him. Lord, I've trusted You. I've believed in You, but I have been forgetting. I have been getting lost in the distractions. Brother Floyd, please pray that I and all my other brothers and sisters will be brought closer in memory to everything he does for me, has done for all of us, and will do for me. How many of you have that appeal in your hearts this morning? God bless you.
He loves each and every one of you from the youngest to the oldest. It's His desire this morning that you spend eternity with Him. He created this earth for us to dwell in it. And although Adam and Eve sinned, He kept them alive and He's kept us alive with the plan that we will be in the new heaven, the new earth. Jesus came and He said, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, then you know I'm coming back to get you because I want you there. Heavenly Father, you saw the hands, you know our hearts. And we ask, dear Father, that you will bring us back into remembrance. Dear Father, help us to organize our time according to your presence in our life. Help us, dear Father, to prioritize you in our life, giving you more time, giving you more place, giving you our utmost. We thank you, we praise you for all that you did throughout history, for what you showed us through Nebuchadnezzar. We thank you, we praise you for the love that you show for us right now and the freedom that you give us. And we ask now that you will strengthen us by reminding us. We believe. Help us our unbelief. In the name of Jesus, your Son, who has come and who has died for us. Amen.